What's with Mountain Dew? Mountain Dew is like a zipline of incredible flavor directly into your brain. Mountain Dew is like getting punched in the mouth with pure neon refreshment that creates a neural explosion sending flavor shards of electric brain pulses into your very core of being. Okay, maybe that's a little over the top, but you get the idea. The fact is, the mind-bending challenge of describing the taste of Mountain Dew is way harder than just experiencing it. That, of course, is easy. Just grab an ice-cold dew, crack it open, and toss them back. Mountain Dew. Do the dew. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and I'm the Deputy Director of Communications here at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I am thrilled to have a couple of my colleagues on the show with me today. Returning to the show is our dynamic duo in Washington, D.C., Michael Correa, who's the Director of Government Relations, and Michelle Rudder-Freeberg, the Deputy Director of Government Relations. It's been a while since we've had you on the show, but since we're almost halfway through the year 2021, it's a great time to get up to speed with what's happening in DC and around the Beltway. So thanks to you both for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Bethany. And I just have to say, because of COVID, I feel like I've been in a time machine for 18 months. So it's like, has it been two years? How long has it been? It's just hard to tell because I feel like that whole section of our life is missing. Yeah, Blur's Day, right? Exactly. And I was just going to say the same, regardless of how long it's been, it's great to be back with you. Perfect. And Mike, I think uh, your eight-year anniversary with NCIA is right around the corner later this year. So I can make that joke about cannabis is like dog years for the 800th time on this show, but it is true. How would you characterize all the progress we've made since you started with NCIA in late 2013? So one, you know, when I started in uh, 2013, I had personally thought that this would be a eight to 10 year process of legalization. And I remember at our first, it was my first event for NCIA. I think I was on the job for a week. It was at NCIA's uh, national conference in, I think it was Auburn, Washington, just south of Seattle and Earl Blumenauer spoke. And he said, oh, we can have legalization by 2020. Well, like 2020 has passed. <laughs> We're now 2021. My eight to 10 year time frame is still, is still there. Um, but, you know, I may have to move that back a little bit. Uh, what has changed has sort of been the discussion and the responses. You know, when I started in 2013, there were still no legal sales in America. That didn't happen until January of 14 in Colorado and uh, August or July of 14 in Washington state. And so when I would reach out to offices, they'd be like cannabis industry, what's that? And the debate was sort of, should we even be doing this? And now, you know, fast forward eight years, like in all these states, 
have done have legalized i can't even keep up it's 17 now 16 17 18 michelle she'll let me know because she knows all these things but now it is not a matter of should we be doing this people have accepted this is the reality it's how we roll out legalization and just to sort of knowledge of of offices and how we've been doing this for eight years most people in america and most politicians who've gotten elected have seen legalization happen over these past eight years they watched it it isn't just a theory it's now in practice and they've seen the data start rolling they can make a more informed decision versus say uh eight years ago where it's just a theoretical idea that a lot of people were pushing you betcha. Absolutely. And and Michelle, I believe you are on year six here for your NCIA anniversary. And during that time, there's been no shortage of action in D.C. to keep up on. Am I right? You are absolutely right. Yep. I can't. It's hard to believe that this uh, this fall will be seven years uh, with the association. And what a great and wild, I guess, to quote the Grateful Dead, what a long, strange trip it's been. But it, it's absolutely accurate. And like you said, Bethany, no shortage of action to keep up on. If anything, nowadays, um, it's it, it used to be somewhat possible to keep up with everything coming out of D.C., but nowadays it's impossible. There's so much happening, whether it's bills getting introduced, hearings happening, markups, bills getting passed out of the House of Representatives now, appropriations, amendments, reports. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Um, definitely no shortage. And so that's why it's so great to be back and let everybody know what's been happening here. You know, Michelle just brought up a great point, Bethany. When Michelle started, and she's been wonderful, the greatest thing I've, greatest uh, move I ever made professionally was hiring her, and she's been wonderful. But back in 2000, what was this, Michelle? 14, 15, I was like, hey, let's do a little newsletter for the Hill. Let's do it every two weeks and try to gather enough news that happens. And this was like every two weeks, we'd find four stories, five stories related to cannabis. Now, I mean, every night there's 10 stories related to cannabis. Tom Angel does his newsletter, which is wonderful. And just the volume of news stories that are happening and how the discussion has changed uh, over these past seven, eight years has been amazing. Yes, I can attest to that from the content side here at NCIA as well. You're, you're absolutely right. It was a trickle before, and now the faucet is pouring. Uh, so let's slowly move forward toward present day, but it is important to note that we're just now starting to feel uh, the impacts of the global COVID-19 pandemic ease up as vaccination rates are increasing. And of course, the cannabis industry was deemed essential in most states where it's legal, which we've discussed plenty on this show over the last year. But now we're kinda sorta returning back to normal, whatever that is. And I know this whole ordeal has impacted how both of you are doing business in the halls of Congress this whole time, but how are things looking now? Well, I mean, one, just the um, the first challenge was the physical shutdown of the Capitol and not having in-person meetings. I'm a lobbyist. I'm out here to schmooze and talk and do meetings and go to fundraisers and go to briefings and go to receptions and not being able to do that where everything was just a Zoom call or a phone call. There's that distance. You can't have that connection um, what makes it uh, a lot harder. And that's just one thing where Michelle and I, it's like sort of the new normal that we've dealt with uh, for the past 15 or so months is not being able to have that normal relationship and that interaction. But I'm doing more lunches as time go by. We're actually doing a briefing 
around Capitol Hill tomorrow about the cannabis issue. It is something things are starting to open up a little more. Um, I've been coming into the office more. We're sort of coming into the office. The Capitol is slowly starting to open up. But, you know, the biggest issue um, when COVID first hit was, hey, listen, the priorities of Congress have changed. I would love to knock on a door and say, hey, I have this legalization idea. I have this regulatory idea. But the response, you know, Michelle and I kept getting was, um, sorry, if it isn't COVID related, um, don't waste our time. And that's something where we had to, you know, reformulate our message and tie it into COVID. And, you know, I'll let Michelle jump in, but it was just something where we sort of had to pivot. Um, it was coming out of left field last March and we had to pivot on our strategic you know, objectives and how we went about things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 like Mike said, you know, we were able to do a little bit of that, right? And and make the argument for, you know, like you mentioned, Bethany, how cannabis was deemed essential, but also other ways, right? That that policy could still uh, keep cannabis front of mind, even as they were dealing with the pandemic. You know, we did things like send a couple different letters talking about uh, tying the banking issue in uh, with the pandemic, talking about, you know, how can you socially distance? I don't know how long your arms are, but it, you know, how can you socially distance if you're handing cash back and forth, right? Because because we have a banking issue. Cash itself is known to be pretty dirty. It's in circulation from maybe, uh, you know, the bank to someone else to maybe a patient, right, who, who could be immunocompromised. And so, you know, again, we, we were able to talk about uh, cannabis policy and, and have it relate and be salient to the pandemic. Uh, but, but to Mike's point, continuing along with that too, I think some of the biggest challenges uh, continuing to lobby uh, during the pandemic, and I don't think this is unique to cannabis necessarily. I think that this is probably how many lobbyists in, in DC feel, but is is just the understanding of, again, of what's happening, whether it's the pandemic or globally, or I should say nationally, really, um, at, here as well, right? So you have staffers who are torn in 50 million directions. You know, it's already difficult to, to uh, get a staffer on the line or on an email. You know, people have a lot going on. They're very busy. They're, they're creating policy, uh, which is no small feat. But, you know, throw in the fact that now we have pandemic and there's you know hyper politicized I can't say it hyper partisanship we'll go that I'll, I'll use a different word but <laughs> yeah just yeah, <laughs> yeah switch, switch roles there but just understanding that you know things in Washington outside of cannabis are are slowed up you read the news everybody sees it you know what I mean and so just also having to be cognizant of we're here to get a job done we need to move our policy forward we're here to help our members but also having to take into to uh, consideration the fact that these staffers are being pulled in 50 directions. They have way too many things on their plate right now. Um, we also have to be respectful as lobbyists, right? It's all about relationships. I can't just, you know, annoy the crap out of them or keep emailing them every other day. You know, that's not going to do me any favors or anything like that. So having to toe that line of continuing to lobby, talk about this issue, uh, but also understanding that, that what's going on on the Hill uh, is bigger than this. And we haven't even touched on the fact that there was an insurrection in January, right? Which added a whole nother layer to things. Um, so it's certainly been yeah. a challenge, but one that we're, we're absolutely adapting to. And, and um, great points. And, and one of the things that has saddened Michelle and I is for the past two years, we have not been able to do our lobby days every spring, which is when our members come to DC. Uh, we do hundreds of meetings. We do fundraisers. We do events, press conferences. We do everything. Uh, our members uh, like this as one of the highlights of their year, being able to see what our life is like on a day-to-day -day basis. 
and advocate um, and lobby for the cannabis industry. We haven't been able to do that for the past two years. So, you know, we're not sure when the capital will open back up again. Maybe it'll mm-hmm. be the fall. Maybe it'll be 2022. Mm-hmm. But, you know, still just trying you know, to be part of a democracy where your government's open and being able to see your government um, as it's working. We hope, we hope, you know, fingers crossed that we can return because uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sociable guy. I need to get out there. I need to be around people. I'm not, I don't like being isolated. I hear you. I can't wait to get back to DC for lobby days as well. Um, All right. So let's take our first commercial break and then we'll come back and dive further into the progress we've made thus far in the 117th Congress and new White House administration. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, and I'm your host, Bethany Moore, with the National Cannabis Industry Association, chatting with my colleagues from Washington, D.C., Michael Correa and Michelle Rutter-Freeberg in our D.C. office. So first, let's talk about NCIA's main battle cry, safe banking, uh, specifically the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act. So where are we at with all these efforts? Um, Well, thanks for bringing that up. You know, this has been our, uh, you know, legalization uh, is our focus, but incremental reform, passing something like the Safe Banking Act has been one of our, our priorities for eight years now. Um, and is something we continually push on. And I want you know all listeners to know that NCIA supports uh, comprehensive reform. We push for comprehensive reform. We want cannabis uh, descheduled. We want it delisted, and we want a proper regulatory structure formed. Uh, at, that is the light at the end of the tunnel and the goal we were shooting for. But at the same time, we are also pushing incremental reform. Uh, What does that mean? Uh, While uh, uh, cannabis is illegal at the federal level and so many states are going forward, what can Congress do in the short term to allow these states to operate a little more efficiently, give a little more certainty to state regulators, to bankers, to the cannabis industry? And something like SAFE is a start. You don't need to legalize cannabis tomorrow. You can actually pass this. It only applies to states where there's legal operators, and it makes it a little easier for people to enter into the market. And so this is something we're pushing. I look at it as low-hanging fruit. There's been uh, multiple hearings on this. It's passed the House in some version or another four different times. It has a third of the Senate in support of this. But because it is incremental reform, there are a lot of people around town that are looking for 
you know, comprehensive reform or else nothing. You know, using a baseball analogy, you could hit a couple singles and hit a to score a run, or you can wait for a home run. And so um, our position has been, hey, listen, we're pushing for comprehensive reform, but at the same time, if we can't get that over the finish line, safe banking helps out. Um, and it is a great start. And I think it'll give a little more certainty and level the playing field and make it easier for people to enter into the market. Michelle, you want to jump in? Sure. Yeah. But so getting back to like Mike said, you gave a quick synopsis there of where we're at, but I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit further. Back in uh, April, just a couple months ago, the State Banking Act passed out of the House of Representatives again, as Mike alluded to those other times were in the previous Congress. So um, but did pass out of the House of Representatives in April. It was uh, a big bipartisan vote, 321 to 101. And I think that's really notable, though. It was a very, very close vote count to the one that we had in the last Congress. Uh, that one was 321 to 103. So like I said, really, really similar numbers there. But what I think is notable about that is that the Congress that we're in right now, which is the 117th Congress, is actually slightly more conservative, slightly more Republican than the last Congress was, right? So uh, I just think it's notable when we're talking about this and thinking about it to know that uh, although the chamber has actually increased its numbers of Republican members, which, you know, typically we would think uh, maybe they're not as supportive of this issue, though, again, with those numbers, I think it's pretty clear a number of Republicans are. Um, but again, knowing that that calculus, you know, I think it says a lot about this issue uh, and, and the level of bipartisan support that it has. So it's out of the House. It's been sent over to the Senate. Like Mike said, I think we're sitting at about 38 co-sponsors now, which is pretty remarkable. I'm really excited about that number. Of course, we're always trying to get more. Um, but, but it's sort of just sitting in the Senate now, and we're continuing to try to build support, um, talking to people like Senate Banking Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown and his team about the bill. Um, but at the same time, and I'm sure we'll dive into this maybe a little bit later, like Mike mentioned, you know, there's still a lot of talk about comprehensive reform, especially on the Senate side, thinking about Leader Schumer and Senators Booker and Wyden and uh, some of the legislation that they are working on and have teased to the public. Um, and, and the reason I bring that up, though, is that a lot of people are focused on that and waiting for that to sort of be unveiled so that we can sort of see all the chips on the table and make a strategy, which is a little bit frustrating. Um, you know, no one likes to play the waiting game. But like I said, we continue to build that support uh, and push for things like a hearing or a markup over in the banking committee. I do think it's really important while, while we're here and on this podcast just to talk about with safe banking, because I don't think it's talked about enough. Uh, and, like, and Mike alluded to it as well earlier, is that, you know, we really view uh, safe banking as an equity bill. We want it to help level the playing field. We know that this industry has incredibly high barriers to entry. We know that BIPOC entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs typically don't have the same level of access to the financial system as their white counterparts. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that we are trying to address by safe banking. Is it, it going to fix the entire financial system and, and the issues that we have with race around that? Absolutely not. Is it going to fix um, all of the banking issues that we have? No, we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, we're definitely not going to do that before descheduling. And, and certainly that's another another topic. But I, I do think that it's important. We know there are predatory practices going on uh, with uh, people of color in this space being taken advantage of. And we also know that social equity programs on the ground at the state and local level are having a really, really hard time actually being successful and taking off because, again, of lack of access to capital. Um, and we really believe that state banking would help with all those things. So I just want to really highlight that and keep 
keep it in mind. I think it's so important that we continue to push this bill forward in the meantime. And that's what we're, we're trying to do here. Absolutely. There's a ton of nuances to why safe banking is is good for the industry, for public safety, and so on and so forth. And I, I was thinking while, while you both were talking about wanting the right amount of regulation, not over-regulation or under-regulation, the, the correct amount of regulation for our industry, the, the joke that we're regulated more heavily than plutonium in some cases comes up quite a bit. But let's pivot and talk about the MORE Act, which has seen some movement in the U.S. House recently as well. How's that looking, Mike? Well, one, and thank you for bringing up the uh, regulations component. I like to use the analogy of Goldilocks. There's too much or too little or just right, and we want it just right. And, you know, I, I also want everyone to know uh, NCIA is supportive of the MORE Act. I look at it as an incomplete bill because it needs a section on a regulatory structure. And the original plan when it was introduced in 2019 was to come around and work through the process and come up with a regulatory structure. But COVID, I think, uh, messed that up and I think has delayed the discussion uh, because you cannot have legalization in a day later, not have regulations. You need to address some of those issues and we need to have regulations. As a person that worked on Capitol Hill for 10 years or 15 years and knows sort of how Congress thinks and works and how the government works, you need to have this written out or it will be litigated for years and years and years. So that's something NCIA has been working on. We have a wonderful policy paper. Um, our policy council put out uh, in 2019 about what they what we think a regulatory structure should look like. Michelle and I are constantly pushing that to Hill advocates when they create legislation of what we think it should look like. Uh, but the MORE Act was just recently uh, reintroduced in the House. Um, their plan is, again, hopefully bring this up for another vote. But as Michelle mentioned, um, Congress became a little more tiny, little more conservative, a little more uh, Republican, even though Democrats still have the majority. Um, and it had barely passed before in last Congress. So making sure people realize that they do the math and the votes are there before they bring this up. Um, and it is it is a good uh, discussion piece. You know, uh, it is a bill that talks about comprehensive reform and addressing some of the issues of, you know, as I mentioned before about the the history of the cannabis issue, addressing some of those wrongs. Um, and, you know, getting something over the finish line, it isn't just the House of Representatives, it's 218 votes in the House and 60 votes in the Senate and getting the president to sign. So until that day happens, you know, we have to constantly be thinking about, um, you know, what are we doing on a bill to get those votes there? Um, we can we can have a great bill in the House, but if it's never going to become law, we need to think um, what are some alternatives? And uh, a Congressman Dave Joyce, a Republican from Ohio, introduced his version of a legalization bill that is out there. And I think it's a good discussion point to educate Republican offices. Just in general, uh, Democrats are, you know, across the board supportive of legalization uh, as a majority. Republicans, it's a little less. They definitely need a little more uh, lobbying uh, and to get into their comfortable space. And this is an opportunity to say, hey, the water's warm, come out. And so there's those two bills. And as Michelle mentioned, you know, there is a um, 
a Senate uh, bill, a uh, uh, discussion draft that will be dropped one of these days from uh, Leader Schumer, uh, Senator Wyden, and Senator Booker. Um, when that happens, we'll have a good idea what the Senate is thinking, what their vision of legalization and reform looks like. And then Michelle and I can focus on, okay, what is going to be the movement? Uh, what is going to be the vehicle? What's the avenue? What is our strategy? And then sort of plan around that. You betcha. Who, what, where, when, why? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's take our last commercial break and then we'll come back and wrap up our chat with our government relations team in Washington, D.C. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, chatting with our government relations team in D.C., Michael Correa and Michelle Rudder Freeberg. And we've just talked about two important pieces of legislation before the break, uh, but there's other things happening as well. And gosh, Michael, you mentioned lobby days earlier and how we haven't been able to host lobby days in DC because of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 and this year, 2021 as well. And you're so right. It's my, it's my favorite event that NCIA does every year. It's just so energizing for hundreds of cannabis industry professionals to come to DC to set have all those meetings set with with members of Congress and their staff. And gosh, it's just so exciting. Uh, and it's it's so sad to think about all the fencing that's up around the Capitol right now. And I, I wonder how lobby days might look next year. Do you have any insight into that? Uh, well, one, uh, I am. At, I share your thoughts. I'm at my office right now, and right above me are all the photos of all of our lobby years past, and I'm looking mm -hmm. at them right now, just thinking about, oh, I miss the, I miss these days. The good news is a lot of the fencing from the insurrection around the Capitol has been uh, pulled back, so visually, um, oh, it doesn't look like a, a war zone or a fort. So that that is great. Um, but just one, you know, just the interacting uh the camaraderie the the being able to uh interact with each other hear what's going on have the industry you know our members talk to one another 
and advocate. That was so important. And, and, and not only that, you know, it would be able to generate some press and there would be some press around it. And there'd be a little momentum. Hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, during COVID and not being able to do some of these lobbying stuff just gets lost sometimes. And you don't have that little push. You know, Michelle and I are just waiting. I hate to say it. We've been uh, in a waiting game for a couple months now waiting for the Senate bill to drop to see how extensive that will be. But mm-hmm. yeah, I can't, you know, what's the, what's the projection for lobby days, you know, fingers crossed, we can do this next spring. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard different stories, you know, maybe after labor day, things may open up, but you know, not only, not only was there COVID, but you know, DC is an international city. We have tons of people from all over the world traveling here. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a public building. I think some people are worried about health, but as COVID rates, are going down and michelle mentioned the insurrection you know there is a security issue now Mm -hmm. not only not only is it just a health issue there's an actual security issue the rhetoric in this town i've been in this town 25 years and the rhetoric and polarization is off the charts i mean now you have members threatening other members of congress which was unheard of and so there's definitely a security concern and you know uh the the capitol police and the leaders of congress the last thing they're going to do, they're in no rush to open up these doors to let the public back in. And they want to make sure they do this right. So, you know, fingers yeah. crossed it's slowly happening, but, you know, fingers crossed we can get this, um, you know, light the end of the tunnel in a couple months. Absolutely. And we have just a minute or two left here on the podcast. So I want to point out that NCIA retooled our membership levels. Uh, before we had regular sponsoring and sustaining. Now we've retooled those to uh, seedling and then blooming. And then our top tier level is called Evergreen, which is really for policy focused cannabis companies who are, are really looking for a loud voice at the seat of the table. Uh, and, and they'll have a little bit more access than, than regular members to you all. Uh, is that right, Mike? Yeah, and I'll let Michelle jump in because I don't want to steal all the time because she she knows everything I know. No, you're absolutely right, Bethany. Um, the Evergreens here has a lot more access to, to Mike and I and our government relations operation here in D.C., uh, really wanting to make sure that we are offering those members exactly what it is that they're looking for without them having to go and hire a lobbying firm uh, for, for you know, five figures a month. So um, it's a really, really wonderful tier. If people are interested in joining that level, of course, they can go to our website, uh, thecannabisindustry.org. Um, but but absolutely, our, our Evergreen tier is absolutely designed for for companies and and those who are interested in being more involved in the government relations and policy discussions that we're having. So it has been just wonderful to get to work with those members as they're coming in uh, and and get their opinions and thoughts and hear the stories and what they're dealing with. And then to also in turn be able to connect them uh, with people on the Hill who are ready to hear those concerns and and address them. So really, really looking forward to getting uh, some more members joined at that level so that we can um, continue the momentum there. Yeah, and on, on that end, you know, every business wants something a little different out of NCIA, and some may want the, you know, networking opportunities, some may want, um, you know, some of the B2B benefits, some of the education, some of the events, some of the um, uh, uh, expos, and, you know, for others, it may just be directly they want to focus all their energy on advocacy in D.C., and so I think, you know, we, were, we spent a lot of time reworking our membership tiers, so I'm just really excited because I think, we offer a lot of value to different businesses that want to get in at different levels and get out of uh, 
get out of NCI a little different experiences. So I'm really, I think it offers us a lot of flexibility with that. Absolutely. Thanks to you both for joining me today. Reminder to listeners, if you'd like more information about our Evergreen or any NCIA membership, head to our website, thecannabisindustry.org slash join. And don't forget to mark your calendars for all three of our trade shows this fall, the Midwest Cannabis Business Conference, September 22nd and 23rd, the Eastern Cannabis Business Conference in Baltimore, December 7th and 8th, and our seventh annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo in San Francisco, December 15th through 17th. Thank you both, Mike and Michelle, for being on the show. I'm sure I'll check in with you all in one way, shape, or form again very soon. Hey, thanks, Bethany. And I can't wait to travel and get out and go to some of these events too. Same. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. What's with Mountain Dew? Mountain Dew is like a zipline of incredible flavor directly into your brain. Mountain Dew is like getting punched in the mouth with pure neon refreshment that creates a neural explosion sending flavor shards of electric brain pulses into your very core of being. Okay, maybe that's a little over the top, but you get the idea. The fact is, the mind-bending challenge of describing the taste of Mountain Dew is way harder than just experiencing it. That, of course, is easy. Just grab a nice cold dew, crack it open, and toss them back. Mountain Dew. Do the dew. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.